In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet Following the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption And the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality Coming to you from the Great White North And his studio beneath the stairs Here's Richard Welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks for sticking me in your ear. On this episode, The Science of Secret Life Forms. That comes from the uh, the subtitle of a book I'll tell you about in a moment. Uh, but we'll also specifically get into Bigfoot and whether it's an ancient primate or perhaps an undiscovered human. And why is this elusive creature so often seen around balls of light and other paranormal phenomena? Here to help us out with these fascinating questions. Dr. Simeon Hine, a former university professor in statistics and research methods, he came across the idea of remote viewing in 1996 and took uh, took it as a skeptic. The result uh, of the training were surprisingly positive and convinced Dr. Hine that there is a large area of scientific knowledge that is being withheld from public discussion. Subsequently, he established the nonprofit Institute uh, for Resonance and began teaching remote viewing classes in Boulder, Colorado. He continues to teach online. He also became interested in the topics of crop circles, unexplained aerial phenomena, and extraterrestrials. He's the author of Planetary Intelligence, Opening Minds, Black Swan Ghosts, and the new one uh, out this past summer, Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms. Simeon, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Richard, how's it going tonight? Thanks for having me here. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Bigfoot. Um, first yeah. of all, I mean, I know I th- I'm pretty sure I asked you this the last time. Uh, you know, you started out in statistics uh, and now you find yourself in some people might call it the land of woo. Uh, just uh, um, for those who maybe you didn't hear the last uh, episode that we did together. How, yeah. did you, how did you make that quantum leap from statistics or is it a quantum leap from statistics to this fascinating field? 
Yeah, the land of Wu, it's it's a good question. The land of Wu is science we don't understand yet. It, there's always been something that seemed like Wu, whether it's electricity, magnetism, or just vacuums within bottles, gravity. I mean, it's always been there because our sense of reality always lags behind what we're experiencing by 100 or 200 years easily. And there was a time when you know, it was a big shift to realize that the earth was not literally the center of the universe. But that belief system was not that long ago that people believed we were the center of everything and we were the most evolved life form, the center of God's creation, and that was it. And we've had all these scientific discoveries in the last 500 years that shattered that sense of us being the most important planet in the universe. Now we discover new planets all the time they're called exoplanets right new bigger telescopes are been launched james webb telescope and then you know we freud introduced the idea of the unconscious mind the subconscious that even our thoughts were not the center of us and now it's a big shock to realize that we're not the only intelligent life forms on the planet there are other life forms that are called cryptids for lack of a better description, and Bigfoot is one of them. And I came across this by visiting a local Sasquatch museum in Bailey, Colorado, the Sasquatch Outpost. And my statistics training really kind of clued me in when I saw a map of the sightings in Colorado and specifically around Bailey, which is only about an hour and 15 minutes south of here. And I was so surprised to find out that some of the Bigfoot sightings were just literally within a few miles of this apartment where I am in Boulder, Colorado. Mm. They had happened in Chautauqua Park. They had happened up the road towards the other little mountain towns. And I realized, you know, as a sociologist, that these were hidden events. These people were experiencing these, but because of sociocultural stigma, it wasn't being discussed. And specifically that sighting in the park at Chautauqua Park, just a few miles from here where I hike all the time. The biology student said he hadn't reported it for 10 years to the BFRO website because he was afraid it would affect his career. So I really got, you know, that really drew my attention in the fact that our sense of reality may be really inaccurate. There could be other intelligent life forms, other types of humans around, paranormal humans, even more evolved than we are in some ways. And we hadn't heard about it. We hadn't talked about it as a society, just like we're realizing with UFOs. There's a lot more witnesses than discussion. So uh, what what do people who see a Bigfoot or have an encounter, what do they report that happens right before they see it? That was one of the things that really caught my attention, uh, Richard. It wasn't just that people were seeing an ordinary mammal or another animal, as I had been led to believe by listening to different with, you know, experts over the years, thinking that this was some sort of dis undiscovered primate, you know, Gigantopithecus or some other pungid that had just somehow, you know, survived the last ice ages, maybe crossed the Bering Straits, and it was very rare. And, you know, if you look at it that way, you would say, well, I'll probably never see it. And maybe they exist. And maybe there's a couple hundred out there spread throughout the United States or a couple thousand, as people said. But that's not what I heard from the witnesses. I started going to some events in Bailey, Colorado, one or two day conferences. And as soon as I talked to the witnesses, they didn't describe an ape at all. It had nothing to do with it. What they described was something more like a person with supernatural abilities, a person that could generate balls of light, that could uh, project thoughts into your mind, seemingly telepathically, that could cause a sense of time loss, even cause the batteries in your electronic equipment and your phone camera to fail. So immediately it seemed that this was... Uh, some sort of creature being that had extra normal abilities, abilities that you and I don't aren't aware we have to generate luminosities, even gravitational distortions. And so I realized that this, we even within the community of people that study Bigfoot, we didn't really have a very good sense of what we were dealing with. And reading the literature, you know, 
like I just started to do to find out more about this subject, I realized lots of people were experiencing these luminosities, these sort of space-time distortions, batteries, cameras dying. And so I realized that this creature had to be manifesting another type of physical matter. It had to be made of something different than we are to do that. You know, I've never, I mean, I've heard a few people talk about, oh, it, it's, it, you know, it's telepathic or uh, it might be interdimensional, but I've never heard that, you know, as you're, as you're saying, all of these witnesses talking about these things and, and it just doesn't square with what we tend to to hear about Bigfoot. Is that maybe some kind of a psychological overlay that we have placed on these creatures that it's bipedal, it's hairy, therefore it's an ape? Right. Yeah, I think, Richard, we want to normalize everything. Our, our minds want to do this. It's just our nature to try to make everything fit in the reality boxes that we grew up with as kids. And as you get older, it takes more and more energy to revise your basic paradigms that inform your sense of reality. And I think people don't necessarily want to spend that energy to reevaluate your whole sense of, of what reality is. But as someone like myself who's been through, you know, the academic system, got a PhD, you sort of expect yourself to have a decent sense of reality, even if it doesn't fit what you thought it was. You're expected to revise your sense of reality as someone who's been through graduate school to fit the data. And what the data say is people are encountering something that's really strange out there. And it's not just one type and there are different types of cryptids. I, I didn't believe in this at first, but talking to people, doing research, I realized that this is really a hidden topic that people are having PTSD from their encounters. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They, uh, people who encounter these beings, these creatures, these life forms, you know, it is such a, it can be such a traumatic experience. And, and part of it is you didn't think it was real, but to encounter something that large, you know, 10 to 12 feet high, shoulders as wide as a barn door you know people say it looks like an nfl linebacker in fur <laughs> a really big nfl linebacker and and you didn't think this was real and you're going out there and i've been out in the woods myself for days and weeks and months i haven't encountered this but now that i know that it's real i don't know if i'd have the same level of shock but a lot of people have a real serious level of shock and, you know, they never want to talk about it again. The people I've talked to recently, and some of them are on my YouTube channel, they didn't talk about it for decades just because people are afraid of being ridiculed by their neighbors and colleagues and employers, especially. Just like pilots with UFO sightings are very highly discouraged from reporting this. And, and so people don't talk about this. This is underreported. And it's even deeper. One more thing they may forget they had the experience because it's so far out of what you expect. Uh, you won't even remember you had the experience. So what I think is going on is I think more of us have encountered Bigfoot and cryptids and we're not remembering it. That's my feeling at the moment. That's fascinating. Um, you know, there's something happening there because I, I had two episodes of high strangeness, let's say in my life. Uh, I don't consider myself to be, you know, an intuitive, an overly intuitive or, certainly not psychic, but I had two and I actually had forgotten the first one until someone in an interview asked me, have you ever had a paranormal experience? And I thought, no way. And then I thought, wait a minute. And it was like, you know, seeing my, whatever, my, an astral body or my doppelganger hovering above me the day my father was buried back in 1986. And I thought, how did, how do you forget something like that? But I did. Right. We all do this, Richard. We all did. You just reminded me of something that's similar to that. When I, you know, and part of my interest in these luminous phenomena comes out of being in the UK studying crop circles since 1997 and seeing a lot of strange phenomena around crop circles, camera failure, battery failure. I've put it up on my YouTube channel. People can see some of those videos of tourists going in, people in our tour groups and other tourists, just their cameras failing batteries. I mean, it just happened over and over. You don't just see this out in any pedestrian mall, people's cameras and batteries. It doesn't happen when you go to the beach or to the mountains, but I've seen it myself. It's happened to my own equipment. And, and some of the equipment has been so damaged it had to be sent back to the manufacturer to get resoldered and so forth, just touching the wheat. So I recently remembered that I had had a sighting of, of ball lightning or an orb 
below a cloud. I even videotaped it. Um, it happened around 2005. And I totally forgot about it until a few weeks ago, even though I wrote a book with ball lightning in the subtitle. Oh I didn't mention God. it once. Wow. I mentioned another ball lightning sighting that I had with another fellow overlooking a crop circle field. And that was really short, just maybe five seconds. We both saw it. It's like a blue grapefruit glowing and then it dissipated. But this lasted for a good 30 seconds to a minute. And I even made a video of it and had a friend in the UK stabilize it. Uh, and, and perhaps I'll make a video about the whole incident and describe it. But I was really, just like you're describing, I didn't even mention it in Dark Matter Monsters. And I should, I mean, it's ball lightning. I experienced it, but I, I sort of forgot about it because it's so strange. It doesn't fit, like, what was that? It was doesn't fit in any category that's easy to describe. Is that some evolutionary defense mechanism? Is that a mild form of PTSD? It's a mild form of it. And I learned about this from remote viewing because it's, I, what I saw in my own RV sessions and students that I've taught is that people won't remember what they wrote on the page, even if it's super duper accurate. It's almost like if we don't get information in a certain way that fits our consensus reality and is in sort of a group setting where there's kind of agreement with the other people, it's very easy to forget about it, delete it, because we're so, you know, we're brought up to to be accepted to fit into the group it's it's a, it's a it's a mammalian thing too it's an animal type of thing to be wanted you know to, it's very important for us to be part of whatever groups we're in for survival reasons so we discard things that don't really help us with that and i think these are types of things these phenomena our sense of reality is always lagging behind our experiences collectively and so i think we delete these experiences just like i deleted my ball of light you deleted seeing your double ganger right yeah another version of yourself hovering over the yeah because it doesn't fit because who are who are you going to call right that's always who are you can call ghostbusters <laughs> i mean who do you talk to about this i've had friends who've experienced bigfoot and they didn't tell me for either decades and i had to say look you told me something once i'm writing a book i really need to hear what you experienced and there were some traumatic encounters you know people being dragged out of their tents in the middle of the night things this is what people experience they're not always harmed richard but these creatures don't play by our rules and uh witness friends of mine who've encountered them close up say it's almost like they're they're making the rules and they're always one step ahead of you and that's not comfortable they always almost seem to know what you're going to do that that's how smart they are and to encounter something like that in a rural area or out in the woods or even by your home or vacation cottage. That is something no one prepared us for. I I think it's time to discuss this because enough people have been traumatized by it. You don't know how to even talk about it and, and people aren't going to believe you. So it's easier just to pretend it didn't happen. Is, is there some overlap between, um, you know, being dragged out of your tent by a Bigfoot uh, and the alien abduction phenomenon? I mean, I mean, are we possibly talking about the same thing? There's a lot of parallels. Uh, I mean, I saw a lot of parallels between Bigfoot and crop circles. Hard to believe. Uh, it was hard for me to believe that Bigfoot would have anything to do with crop circles. It's not that they're seen by crop circles, but the same phenomena that happen around crop circles are seen around Bigfoot, experienced around Bigfoot. The same battery camera failure, the same space-time distortions, the same orbs and balls of light. So there must we must be encountering another type of reality that we have no consciously, formally, we don't have any training for. I'm not saying there aren't people that know about this, but I think it must be classified information because it has to do with very advanced physics. And for this reason, we don't really know what we're encountering and we call it woo. But I mean, I think, as I mentioned to you last time, I, I've been rereading some of these patents from Lockheed Martin, incoherent matter, coherent macroscopic quantum objects, resonance. And, and they're very explicit in their patent. They're saying this is very similar to what we see in swarms of insects and birds spontaneously forming organization, what's called self-organization the way they fly and they just, the group seems to have this coherency to it as they move. I think it's called murmuration when you see group flocks of birds, just they all turn at the same time. It's not right. like there's a group leader. They're entrained with each other. 
You can do that with particles of matter in a quantum sense to turn them into the equivalent of a laser to keep refocusing the energy and refocusing the energy. And eventually you get luminosities and, and, and Lockheed Martin was interested in using this for long range communication, affecting things at a distance, cloaking, even directed energy weapons, Mm -hmm. but not through, not through directing energy itself by creating quantum coherence. So my idea is, well, if we have defense contractors saying, oh, we've already working in this area, right? The assumption is that we're always the most advanced species on the planet. It, it, it's highly possible that other species figured out what Lockheed Martin's figuring out now with quantum coherence. I mean, if birds and insects know how to fly coherently, why wouldn't individual organisms learn how to do that with their body to create invisibility, cloaking, and teleportation, which is what exactly what witnesses describe they see around Bigfoot, Dogman, and other types of cryptids. Uh, it's um, it's just a very interesting situation. It's we don't we don't accept this, you know. Collectively, we just assume we're the top dog on the planet, right? right. <laughs> but I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true. Bigfoot and invisibility. <clears throat> um, do you yeah. have reports of people feeling Bigfoot, sensing Bigfoot? Yeah. smelling Bigfoot, maybe being touched by Bigfoot, but there's nothing there. That's what people experience. Hmm. They experience these creatures sometimes coming through walls or they feel that they're experiencing communication from them and they're just outside the house or their cottage. But you know what they're saying. You can hear them talking in your mind. It's a type of muddy, mechanical-sounding voice. It could be the way your brain translates their speech but yeah we certainly have accounts of people seeing bigfoot there seeing them disappear seeing them materialize in front of their eyes and in an intermediary state that makes them appear like saran wrap where you can see through them but you see a shimmering against the trees or the forest a little bit like that movie predator that sci-fi movie yes yes actually that's what people say it looks like who've seen the movie they say it looks just like that and seeing them morph into different types of natural objects, boulders, tree stumps. This is hard to believe. It sounds like science fiction, but Richard, this is what the witnesses are telling us they're experiencing. And it's so far out of the realm of ordinary science that I don't think there's really anywhere for them to report this because, well, law enforcement generally is condescending to this or... Uh, they don't know what to do with it. It doesn't fit in any of their reporting forms. It's, it, right. you know, I mean, they have jurisdiction over people. Well, who are you going to call animal control? I mean, it doesn't fit in any categories, which is what makes it such an interesting subject to to study. Well, even the Bigfoot field researchers may not be open to this discussion. Exactly. For them, they're talking about this is some unknown mammal and and uh, right. I don't want to hear about telekinesis and tele- telepathy and, and all of that. Uh, Absolutely right. You're aware of this then. They, they want to purge their Bigfoot reports of all of this type of interdimensional quantum activity. I don't know why, but that's what the witnesses say they're experiencing. Not all of them. Richard, there are plenty of reports. I, I read so many of these cases and stories. There are plenty of them that are just sort of ordinary. They saw the creature walking and it did something, turned to them and howled and it did the things that it did and they felt the pounding. But there's enough of these reports where something else is going on there that is hard to explain. For example, they see them gliding over the forest floor, gliding. Wow. Sliding. Doesn't seem like their feet are quite touching the ground. Dr. Simeon Hine, I'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll uh, discuss further. Absolutely remarkable. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Dr. Simeon Hine, the new, the new book, Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms, and talking about uh, Bigfoot. Talk to me about temperature changes around Right. Bigfoot. You asked me about this a few minutes ago. That is what people notice before a cryptid encounter. The temperature seems to go down. It gets very quiet. 
and even the insects get quiet. Now, we can understand that maybe animals sense a predator around, but it's I don't think crickets are seeing Bigfoot as a predator. There's too many crickets and Bigfoot can't get to all of them. We know that insects have, uh, you know, sensory apparatus in their brains for detecting magnetic fields. You know, I mean, I'm just reading about this here with moths in Science Magazine, how certain types of moths can navigate the magnetic fields of uh, the planet. And even fruit flies have a toroidal shape in their brain that detects changes in magnetic fields. So it seems to me that these creatures are literally changing the structure of space-time when they're in your vicinity because they're made of a different, possibly made of a different type of matter. And that it's not just a psychological effect. I mean, one explanation, I guess the flesh and blood would ex explanation would be we have natural instincts of fear and we sense when something's around that could be harmful to us. I, I just think it's more than that because the insects react. I've talked to so many people who've experienced this. They said it just gets so quiet. I mean, uncomfortably quiet. And, and it turns into a type of low-grade terror <laughs> that keeps escalating. It doesn't go away. Eventually, you just cannot control yourself. You just feel like you have to get out of there. Pack your tent up and get out. And it seems to me what's going on here is they're affecting some of the, you know, constants of, of light and magnetism and electricity in the area. They're distorting it from the way we perceive it. The insects are picking up on this, so they're going quiet. It certainly affects other mammals, you know, squirrels and other creatures in the area, birds. But that's what people experience first. It, it gets very quiet, artificially quiet. And, you know, we do have this around UFO sightings, too, which leads me to believe we're getting a similar, you know, what it's called in physics is permittivity. It has to do with the electrical conductance of space itself, not the air space space time if you change the permittivity of space you're literally changing the speed of light from your frame of reference to anything else around you and you're changing the flow of time time is going to speed up as permittivity goes down you're going to have more electrical conductance which is why some of these bigfoot witnesses say they see sparks coming off these creatures you know they they notice things streaming off them I remember what I wrote about this one one case where this couple was running away from one that came across a river in Yellowstone. And when they got back to the car, I mean, the guy had passed partially passed out from this electrical change. And they got in the car. They said there was blue light coming in the car from the creature as it leaned over the windshield. <laughs> you know, they start the car. Battery's not working. <laughs> I mean, this is a change in the electromagnetic structure of space time. And we've heard about this before. We've heard about this from Hal Putoff, former, you know, member of OSAP, might still be a member of one of the, he told us he's been part of these classified UFO study groups. He lectured to us in 2018 in Las Vegas at the IRVA SSE meetings, a combined meeting of both groups. And he told us this is all based on permittivity, that these objects, their technology is changing the structure of space-time. So wouldn't it be possible that there are creatures around that over you know a long period of time could do this to some extent too, just biologically, just the way we have electric eels? You know, we have to start thinking about it that way. So, Richard, it's a good point. Some of these researchers want to totally you you know leave all this data out. If you leave all that data out, we're not going to make any progress in terms of what we're encountering here. We're not going to learn anymore because we want it to fit into these old boxes of it being a primate. I mean, this is not a primate. This is something that can speak English, okay? It can speak languages. It can talk. It can sound like you calling for your dog in the forest. It's the ventriloquism. The Native Americans spoke about this. It's so good at imitating people. You could think it's one of your family members. Do they do this? I, I don't know why exactly they do this. They're really smart. Wow. Wow. And they're very good at imitating not just coyotes and wolves and other animals out there, they can imitate human speech and even speak it to some degree. So that doesn't fit the idea of a primate at all. No, no. no. Okay, so how do we connect this to uh, ball lightning? First of all, what is ball lightning? Well, ball lightning is a phenomenon that's been around for a while, and scientists have studied it for hundreds of years, different scientists over the years, especially in Europe. 
And the interesting thing about ball lightning is it can move through objects, but it's at room temperature. It's not literally, you know, it could give off heat, but it's not literally glowing from a chemical reaction. Ball lightning is a type of condensed matter where the particles, their electrons, are now what's called monochromatic. They're at the same frequency and the same temperature. And it becomes one big particle. And this was actually right here in Boulder. This was seen empirically in 1995. It's called the Bose-Einstein condensate. And it was predicted by physicists uh, Bose and Einstein in 1925. But it just takes sometimes decades for us to get the evidence, just like it did for black holes. Well, ball lightning is a Bose-Einstein condensate where all the particles, they lose their particle nature and become more wave-like. Bose-Einstein condensate, it, it glows, but it's at zero temperature. It's as close to zero Kelvin as you can get. But ball lightning is room temperature uh, bosonic condensate. It's the same sort of thing at room temperature. And it can move around. It can melt metals, but they're still going to be cold. It actually creates a type of nucleosynthesis. And it affects materials that it moves through. Sometimes it's harmless. Other times it can explode, uh, you know, injuring people. It emits low levels of X-ray radiation. Wow. And other types of radiation, which is why some people report being ill after they're around it, after it's passed through your body. It's very unpredictable what ball lightning is going to do because it can form in different ways, but it always forms from some type of matter compression whether it's tectonic plates, earthquakes can create ball lightning. They're often seen at the tops of mountains before earthquakes, glowing mm -hmm. orbs. I believe the phenomenon that people are seeing around Bigfoot is the same type of ball lightning. People see them around orbs. Sometimes people see the orbs, but they don't see the Bigfoot, but the orbs are kind of making howling sounds, screaming sounds. I mean, it's, it's unfathomable almost, but... I think we're dealing all fundamentally with the same type of phenomena, whether the ball orbs are seen around UFOs or they're seen around Bigfoot. A ball lightning is very sensitive to its environment, which can make it seem like it's conscious. And, and maybe it is. We can't rule that out that someone's kind of harnessed it. But uh, this type of coherent matter can create lots of energy. And when it comes apart, it can release huge amounts of electricity, which can short out electronics. It can even be at a microscopic state. It can be at a tiny, you can have micro ball lightning, which is what has been called cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction. It's actually a natural process. Ball lightning is very similar to what we see out in the cosmos in terms of black holes, which is a type of matter, you know, it's condensed gravitationally. Mm -hmm. Because it's so big, you have stars collapsing on themselves, form black holes. Ball lightning is the same sort of thing, but it happens from uh, an electromagnetic reason because there's such an attraction of particles. When you put particles really close together, they overcome any repulsion they have. And the, re the attractive force is so strong that they keep getting closer and closer until they create a type of gravitational collapse. And the other side of that is a lot of luminosity is produced, a lot of light as the particles condense. And you end up, uh, Richard, with another state of matter beyond you know, solids and liquids and gases and plasmas, which we're all familiar with from neon signs and fluorescent lights right. and lightning and aurora borealis. But ball lightning is one step beyond plasmas. It's a self-organized plasmas that's condensed into a ball, or sometimes people see it as a torus, a toroidal shape. And there's been a lot of research into it in former Soviet Union, within the Air Force. The one thing that's really funny about this, Richard, if you look at the Air Force studies of ball lightning, half of it's redacted. It's all whited out. What? Ball lightning studies are whited out because why? Creates gravitational effects, airplanes, gravitational propulsion uh, systems. Uh -huh. This is obviously what the Air Force would be. So it's a very fascinating topic. And the big surprise to me is that it's, it's seen around... Bigfoot and cryptid sightings, other types of cryptids, people see these luminosities before it happens. So what this seems, you know, it suggests to me, and I'm open to other ideas. I'm not saying I have to be right about this, 
But these cryptids must be accessing other states of matter that we humans don't know how to do. It's like we're in kindergarten and they're in 12th grade. Okay. And they can manipulate matter. They can generate coherency, energetic quantum coherency. And this is why they're seen around balls of light. They're seen levitating. They're seen teleporting. I mean, if, if people don't agree with me, you have to suggest a better explanation for all this witness uh, data. We can't just throw it out. I mean, it's very convenient, Richard, isn't it? Just push away data that doesn't fit your ideas. That's and this right. is what we've been doing for hundreds of years. We're, I was taught to do this in graduate school. You call it outliers. And what do you do with outliers? Toss them out of the data set because it doesn't fit your theory. Well, if you toss too many outliers out of there, you're not going to have a very good sense of reality after a while. And we've been doing this with cryptids and with UFOs and a lot of these phenomena. We call it paranormal, supernatural. You know, Carl Sagan wrote that book, The Demon Haunted World. Didn't he write the book with that title? I think so. And he, yeah, he felt if we didn't push the paranormal away, we were going to end up with all these superstitions and stuff. But the the drawback of pushing all this experience away from people and just calling it superstition or something like that, it's super, supernatural. We're missing a big chunk of reality. And it's not fair to the people who've experienced this that they don't have a forum, a place that they can talk about this, because I think this is very important science, that we're, this is very important science going on here. And again, you got defense contractors trading patents in ball lightning and coherent matter. There's obviously something important here. Blowing my mind once again, Dr. Simeon Hine, back with more in a moment. Truth will set you free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Dr. Simeon Hine, Dark Matter Monsters. Ball lightning, seen around cryptids, Bigfoot. When we're talking about temperature changes, some of the things that you were attributing to, uh, you know, these Bigfoot encounters and the ball lightning, it also, all of these things could fit right into another sort of so-called paranormal phenomenon that's hauntings and ghosts i mean yes, it right. all it's it almost seems like there's a a common denominator like something that ex, that underlies all of our so-called paranormal experiences that's right richard that's what i believe now i think there's something underlying everything we call paranormal and it's a, it's a state of condensed matter self-organized matter that's tapping in to zero point field, perhaps the quantum vacuum, as it's called. Uh, there was an excellent researcher who's now passed on, who was a colleague of Hal Putoff's named Ken Shoulders. And he studied this at SRI, the home of remote viewing. I mean, we, as those of us who are interested in remote viewing know it came out of a government funded contract with SRI mm -hmm. in Palo Alto. But SRI did a lot of other classified research, and they hired Ken Shoulders to look into this. And the shocking thing, if you look at Ken Shoulders' paper, someone that invented microelectronic masking, which allows integrated circuits and things to work together in, on a circuit board. Uh, this is something he started working on in the 60s. You look at what he writes about this. He says you're going to get these charge clusters. He called them exotic vacuum objects, just highly condensed clusters of uh, electrons that form, you know, ball lightning. He called them EVOs. He, he you know, he originally called them just uh, charge clusters, electron, val validium, strong electrons. But anyway, it's these kind of correlated, quantum correlated clusters of electrons. He said that this seemed to, they seemed to be like a type of life form a type of life form that had their own laws that could pass through ordinary matter and were had abilities that ordinary matter doesn't have. And he says in a couple passages, it's almost like they inhabit a ghostly world of their own rules, different speeds of light, different flow of time, and that they connected to the world of dark matter. He said, it just seemed like because they have a, they have a dark mode, he said they become invisible. And he had pictures of them, Richard, where you see the, the cluster and the ball lightning here. And then as time goes on, all of a sudden it's invisible. And then it shows up again in a different area of the, the microscope that you're looking under. 
he said they had a stealth mode, a black mode, which was almost like a connection to what we call dark matter, which as we know from science, outnumbers ordinary matter 10 particles to one. It's almost like these charge clusters are a bridge to a larger reality. That, and this is what someone like Ken Shoulders is telling us if you read his work, which is just absolutely fascinating. Is, um, is it possible for ball lightning, I mean, could one be so large uh, that it could cause, I don't know, like an EMP, a major EMP event? It's possible that's happened. You know, one of the stories I wrote about in Dark Matter Monsters is when the Pentagon was monitoring a town in the 60s in the Midwest that completely lost the electromagnetic field. There was an EMF collapse and they never could figure out what it was. And I was told this by someone that had worked in the Pentagon, that they monitor the entire United States for EMF, EMP. It's just part of what they do to defend, you know, the United States is to look at the electromagnetic signatures that are around us all the time. And they detected one town where there was no electricity at all. I mean, not even in batteries or watches. It just completely stopped and they never could figure out what it was. But I think you're suggesting definitely a good idea. It could be something that entered from outside the Earth's atmosphere, a kind of a cl charge cluster of some type just happens to be in that area. Maybe it goes into the ground. Uh, the, the Soviet researchers suspected there could be small black holes that come into the atmosphere and they'd be pretty small, but they would wreak all sorts of electromagnetic havoc. Uh, so it seems that these interact with our world more often than not and create different types of unpredictable, uh, even gravitational effects where people said that the, this was reported in the Soviet Union in a number of cases by uh, Dr. Alexander Parkhamov where gravity seemed to collapse for a few seconds and everything hit the ceiling, you know, for, with no obvious explanation, no explosions or anything. I mean, entire buildings lifting off their moorings for a few seconds and then coming down people, people seeing these objects coming over roofs, kind of collecting nails and shingles as they came across. So it seems that these objects are around, but again, just like in the beginning of this interview, as you said, we tend to discard a lot of this, the new, you know, our media is going to make fun of it. Or maybe as in this case of this town that lost, had an EMF collapse, we'll, we'll never even hear about it for, for, for 50 years. As it's true in this particular story, I don't think anyone's ever been told this before outside the Pentagon. So. Um, I've seen videos on YouTube of people have t uh, taken of ball lightning and um, yeah. a number of them were around railroad tracks. Why is that? Right. Uh, ball lightning is created wherever you have pressure. If you have trains going over the tracks, it's going to create a certain type of pressure. That's all you need to get them going. And once they're there, they're so unpredictable. They tend to follow static gradients, but they like carbon, which is why they come. They eat electrons and carbon has a lot of excess electrons. So this is why they come down chimneys sometime. But the really weird thing about them is they can be different colors and they can be sort of attracted to living things and they can seem to follow you. And it gives people the feeling that they're sort of conscious entities. And again, maybe they are in some ways, but even just from the science we understand, uh, they're very unpredictable. They arise anytime you're going to get this compression. We have a lot of carbon in the soil. Minerals are going to create them. And uh, they're often seen in these portal areas where you have a lot of cryptids and UFO activity too. Uh, are those conditions... Uh, extend at a place like Skinwalker Ranch, do you think? I would think so. I mean, Skinwalker Ranch, and I'm not trying to totally explain it away, but it has a mineral called gilsonite, which is a carbon-based mineral. And we know that ball lightning likes to be around carbon. So this is, could be one reason why you see it in places like Skinwalker Ranch, uh, Marley Woods, who Ted Phillips investigated in Missouri, so-called Marley Woods. Same exact phenomena, orbs, cryptids, UFOs. And when some of these ball lightning, you know, objects were seen to move, they lifted, Ted Phillips said they lifted a picnic table off the ground. It was moving around as the ball. Light. They literally create a type of electronuclear collapse. The gravitational field collapses right when it goes by something. They can even magnetize things like wood, ordinary objects temporarily. 
if they're within about a half a foot of these objects as they move by. They're extremely strange because they're quantum objects. They're sort of in a different type of reality than we're used to. They're not a burning flame. You know, they are not literally burning anything. It's a type of resonance. It's a type of resonance where all the particles are interlocked and coherently related to each other. And they're another state of matter. So they liberate a lot of energy. They can explode at the end. Um, and sometimes they can cause a lot of damage. But even in these reports, if you look at these reports from the past, you know, books about ball lightning by researchers and so forth, do you know what it's reported they do? Teleport animals and people to other locations. It's quantum teleportation. It, wow. It's stranger, almost stranger. Ball lightning is almost stranger than you can imagine because right. it's it's a quantum phenomena. And it's no surprise that it's seen around cryptids and UFOs, which also seem to be quantum phenomena. And again, going back to our initial discussion in the beginning, this is not what you should be pushing away. Don't call it woo. Call it quantum science or something. I mean, this is something we should be learning from. Maybe we could harness it as an energy source. That was my or, next question, actually. Could we tap into it? Well, this is people who've studied cold fusion and what's called low energy nuclear reaction. It's not literally cold fusion. I don't think we're fusing neutrons. The critics were a little bit right there, but it's definitely a real process. It seems all the researchers that studied cold fusion, including this guy, Takiyaki Matsumoto from Japan, who wrote this excellent, well, it's a collection of his papers. He's still alive steps to the discovery of electronuclear collapse, said that cold fusion Leonard is a type of micro ball lightning. It's the same phenomena. Not only could be used to generate energy, if you could sustain it, you could get a lot of energy from it. It can transmute nuclear waste and make it completely inert from a nuclear power plant. You could create harmless carbon that you could put back in the soil and growth. Literally, it transmutes elements up and down the periodic table, all the way down to lead, sometimes past lead. If you push it too hard, you get these super heavy elements, but it creates lots. Uh, uh, this is another reason why people smell sulfur and strange mm -hmm. smells around paranormal phenomena. Mm -hmm. Because if you combine oxygen together, oxygen 16, you end up with sulfur 32. And this is exactly what you would expect would happen around ball lightning is you're transmuting elements again, we were taught that alchemy was just some fictitious thing. Maybe Isaac Newton was interested in it. He spent a lot of time on it. And, you know, medieval philosophers and scientists, but it turns out to be real. And people that have looked into cold fusion Leonard, there's no doubt you're getting a type of nucleosynthesis where the elements you start with, hydrogen, helium, carbon, turn into other elements and you end up with things in your elements in your experiment that there's no way they were there in the beginning. You, there's this, The photo of this is actually carbon films coming out of pure lead. There is, there's no other explanation. That just reminded me of something. And, and I mean, I, I could go on talk with you for hours and hours. Yeah. Um, when people, you know, pick up a piece of, you know, from a, uh, a reported UFO crash site and they analyze it and they say, well, the, the alloys here are not from this earth. But if there's ball lightning involved, a little bit of transmutation of the metals. Right. That explains that too. That's very good thinking, Richard. I never quite thought of it that way. Because the scientists I've talked to who've looked at these materials, they've looked at the isotopic ratios. You know, these are sort of elements with different levels of, uh, you know, electrons than you'd normally expect in that particular chemical element. They thought it was from another part of the galaxy based on the chemical composition. They just said, we don't have those isotopic ratios on Earth. That's been the argument. And maybe they're right, but you're suggesting another possibility here that it's literally being transmuted and created right within the craft. You know, I, that's a good idea. I didn't think about it that way, but that could be what's going on. And again, why you get the smell of sulfur around UFOs, you get orbs and areas that are glowing later on. And the big surprise to me, Richard, I mean, Bigfoot and UFOs being seen together, like Stan Gordon has written about. I mean, there's no doubt if you read books, and I've talked to Stan Gordon, but I didn't all it didn't all click until recently. Is the reason you get UFOs and Bigfoot, you know, in the same areas is because they're based on similar types of matter. They're occupying another sort of frequency. And it's a it's a frequency where things can transmute and change. 
and the laws of physics are a little different. And it's kind of like turning the channel on your TV and there's channels where, you know, different things are happening than, than what we're used to in ordinary reality. And you're going to get the same cast of characters on that particular channel. So maybe it shouldn't be surprising that you have cryptids showing up around UFOs. The, the amazing thing surprising to me is you have this happening around remote viewing experiments, even people like Yuri Geller uh, when he was at SRI. I mean, if you look at the history of the remote viewing program, and, and Russell Targas talked about this a couple of times, they had really strange things happen when Yuri Geller was around. And they had just had him over there to do remote viewing and some psychokinesis, which he's very good at. And you can see this in the, the documentary Third Eye Spies uh, by Lance Mungia, which is a really good documentary about the whole history of the remote viewing program. But the surprising thing is they had cryptids show up in the homes of the researchers that were working with Yuri. Even small UFOs flying around Lawrence Livermore Laboratories. I mean, why would you get that around RV unless you're literally changing the structure of space time? And there's other things that are probably there all the time. We don't see them. All of a sudden, you kind of kind of tuned in a little bit to it. You know, you've tuned the dials on your interdimensional radio and these other beings, objects, things. You know, it's quite possible, Richard, that we're surrounded by lots of things that we can't see because they're at a different frequency. And you get someone like Yuri Geller around and it just kind of shifts space time enough. All of a sudden, whoa, you know, there's huge, huge uh, crows at the, at the bottom, you know, at the end of your bed as you wake up. And and you know who talked about this also was James Lukatsky in Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. I mean, this was another motivation for me writing Dark Matter Monsters. I mean, here you have all these DIA analysts going out to Skinwalker Ranch as part of the OSAP program. And what do they see? Bigfoot, Dogman, a variety of creatures we don't even have names for. The dino beaver, you know, something that looks right. like a cross between a dinosaur and a beaver, three, 400 pounds. And they all see this. They go home, and now it's in the suburbs of Maryland in their backyards. And people around them start seeing these. And they don't talk about this. It's classified. Kids start seeing it. Kids' friends start seeing it because it's a frequency. I don't think it's actually hitchhiking. I don't think they're following you home. I think those have been there the whole time and you didn't see it. But now by being around these coherent matter phenomena, you become a little more coherent. So you're seeing more of what's been around you the whole time. That's my idea about it. Wow. It's official. Yeah. Simeon, you're my, you're my favorite guest. Oh, thank, it's thank official. you. <laughs> Dark Matter Monsters. Uh, available at Amazon and wherever good books are sold. And uh, the website, mountbaldy.com. Mountbaldy.com. And if you go to newcrystalmind.com, I have a link. That I'm happy to send people signed copies of all of these books. It's at the it's pinned to the top of newcrystalmind.com. That's my blog. Uh, newcrystalmind.com. All right. Yep. Simeon, until next time, I hope there'll be a next time and a next time and a next time. You're absolutely amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Richard. Thanks very much. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.